What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK, and I'm here with another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This week, I sit down with Anil from Twitter, at Anil Said So. Anil has been dropping incredibly dense and informative threads, and they're really quite beautiful all over Twitter for the last few months, and uh, or really the last year. And um, I wanted to have him on the show after he wrote an incredible piece comparing Bitcoin to the printing press for BitcoinMagazine.com. This was a really fun show. A lot of uh, brain explosion moments for me personally. Um, Anil really understands how to um, condense and distill Bitcoin into really understandable chunks. So uh, I think there's a lot here for everyone. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Stacks. 2.0. 2.0. No, they're no longer block stacks. They, it's now the stacks 2.0 blockchain. And they're really orienting around Bitcoin, right? So the whole idea is it's a blockchain. They have a proof of transfer POX uh, and you peg in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is the money on the blockchain. Uh, they also have a you know governance and staking token to support that blockchain STX. Um, but you don't need that token to use the blockchain. And that blockchain, it takes on a lot of the features that um, you know you can't build directly into the Bitcoin blockchain, things that other altcoin chains are trying to do. Um, and it brings it to a Bitcoin-denominated world. So I think that the world is going to start denominating in Bitcoin. And the closer and more trustless you can get to using Bitcoin, the, the more people are going to want to use those applications. So it's exciting to see what um, what Blockstacks is doing here and them committing to Bitcoin. We're starting to really see the narrative of Bitcoin, not blockchain. Like their, their marketing, their branding is all about, we are part of Bitcoin. Uh, we're leveraging the most important and the, the most prevalent blockchain and Bitcoin is money on our blockchain. So I like that, that, uh, that turn of directions. Go check out Stacks com so that's s-t-a-c-k-s-2 the number two dot com and uh learn more if you're especially if you're a developer uh but if you want to just poke around and see their uh blockchain-based decentralized apps and DeFi stuff uh again they're doing that all uh on the stacks to blockchain all right guys that is enough of me let's get right into this podcast with anil Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This week, I'm sitting here with Anil. You may have seen him on Twitter at Anil Said So. Um, Anil recently wrote an absolutely fantastic piece on the Bitcoin Magazine uh, website. It was uh, it was Bitcoin comparing Bitcoin to the printing press. And uh, I mean, if you check out Anil on Twitter, he has been absolutely killing it, just putting out so much incredible knowledge, so many beautiful graphics. Um, so I wanted to bring Anil onto the podcast uh, to kind of talk about all of it and really just find out like, who is Anil and, and what's your deal? So I guess, Anil, welcome to the podcast. And, uh, you know, why don't you introduce the Bitcoiners to yourself? Yeah, thanks, CK. And uh, thanks to Bitcoin Magazine for helping me get that last article about Bitcoin and the printing press um, out into as many hands as possible. Uh, So to be honest, I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude who's really into Bitcoin and really think that the most valuable thing I can be doing with my time right now is helping other people understand it. So yeah, (laughs) that's really all there is to it. Awesome. Um, I guess, you know, what's your Bitcoin story then? Uh, so there's a lot of common threads, I guess, for many Bitcoiners. 
Um, you know, usually a key component is some kind of like global perspective. Uh, I've been fortunate to kind of live in a few different countries. And if you've ever had to deal with different government bureaucracies or moving value um, between international banks, you know, you know what a joy that process is. So upon kind of understanding that now there's a borderless digital way to move value, uh, it's kind of a no brainer. It just made intuitive sense. So yeah, it didn't take much to hook me in, but then I realized, oh shit, there's a lot of work to be done to really grasp what's actually taking place. So I guess like, what was your Bitcoin rabbit hole journey like? Like, it sounds like you were predisposed. I was predisposed to kind of like appreciate Bitcoin and, you know, understand that it's important. I should research more. Like, what was your journey like? It was pretty, uh, I I was very lucky. A lot of things have to line up and I'm not going to discount that. You know, the start is, hey, I'm a native English speaker. So (laughs) that's a huge advantage to begin with, given you know, white papers in English. Most of the first uh, content and commentary around it is in English. So, okay, tick that box. Um, secondly, I happened to be moving country around the time I found out about it. So I had that innate incentive to figure this thing out because it could actually just benefit me and make my life easier. Um, on top of that, I was doing my master's and a big component of that program was understanding technology, finance, innovation. And it just so happened that while doing that program, um, the world's first Bitcoin ATM got plopped down right in the middle of my route to school. So you, you couldn't line these things up better if you tried. So I was just really lucky to be in the right place at the right time and had the curiosity to kind of take a serious look at it. So yeah, man, that's what, that's what drags me down. So, I mean, in part of your journey of like trying to translate Bitcoin, you've been creating these beautiful graphical threads uh, that have been getting a lot of attention and engagement on Twitter, rightfully so. You could tell you put a lot of work and thought into them. Um, Can you kind of talk about these threads, maybe which one you're most uh, proud of, which one you think are the most important? Yeah, I I guess the reason behind it all, CK, is just uh, I'll level with you. I'm not that bright. So... I knew that if I wanted to understand this, I would have to really break it down concept by concept, step by step. And, you know, I kind of, I really like some of the, you know, like the Feynman principles that if you really understand it, you should be able to teach it. Um, And teaching is a great way to kind of get that instant feedback of what's working and what's not. And I guess in my uh, circle over here in, uh, in Canada, I had a lot of opportunities to kind of teach, uh, you know, go back to universities and guest lecture purely because I was kind of the only person that in in, in a lot of different social circles that knew something about Bitcoin. And yeah, just through being kind of forced to start to teach it to a very lame, lame layman audience, uh, you kind of sharpen your tools a bit and you get the analogies that work. You, you find what connects with people at what stage of their journey. And so it was really just how would I put this all into, you know, very nicely packaged content 
that can be shared around uh, very easily and for free. And so that's kind of where I just landed on, you know, Twitter as the platform. And, you know, visually, uh, I think that's kind of where I can explain things a bit better than, than most. So just at the intersection of those two things led me to start making threads. And, you know, to be honest, I did it for about six months before anyone even like really paid attention to it. But I knew those were going to be my teaching materials uh, in the future. But it just so happens that, yeah, it's, I guess it's been pretty helpful to people and more people are reading them and sharing them. And uh, I'm just going to keep doing it. The more I get, you know, feedback that, hey, it's helped people. Um, it's helped people's like grandparents. That, that's all I need to hear um, to keep, keep doing this. I mean, they're absolutely, absolutely helpful and uh, really helps break down a lot of complex topics um, like the sovereign individual, like, um, you know, understanding scarcity, understanding how Bitcoin works, all that kind of stuff. Can you talk about like maybe what are your, some of your most fa- like your favorite or some uh, yeah. a thread that you're especially proud of? Sure. There's, there's one. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of um, Farnham Street and Shane Parrish and, you know, he's kind of well known for being like the librarian for mental models and uh, trying to understand what's driving Bitcoin in terms of the different mental models or lenses you can use to look at Bitcoin to understand what's actually going on. Um, so kind of over a you know period of six months, I kind of just kept collecting these mental models and then finally threw them into a thread. Uh, again, it's on my Twitter account. Uh, I got an ebook out that you can download and it just, it just really helps hammer home why Bitcoin is not going to die. You know, there's so many different positive feedback loops spinning that keep propelling it um, to be this like ossified global network. Uh, And, you know, you really don't understand that until you can kind of look at these mental models and see how they're applied to other aspects. Um, you know, in the world and you see, oh, okay, uh, power laws here, here, here's how they work. Here's what situations you can apply them in. Um, and here's what you can expect as a result. So these, these little rules that you can use to look at Bitcoin through really just help hammer it home that, uh, this is a serious technology. This is here to stay, uh, take the time to understand it. Uh, you dropped the thread. It looked like it was like June of this year, the third. If someone had uh, read that, was convinced about Bitcoin and actually understood it from first principles, like you kind of break it down, uh, that would have been a fantastic trade for them. Uh, so you've yeah. been dropping this knowledge deep into the bear market. And I yeah. mean, again, like I feel like every time Bitcoin kind of goes through one of these cycles, it attracts new people into Bitcoin that... Um, that un- that kind of like have a more mass appeal understanding of Bitcoin and then they can repropagate it that way. And, you know, that keeps happening. So at first it was the cypherpunks. It was a very core niche people who could actually understand e-cash, right? It was literally the only people in the world who could understand e- e-cash. Yeah. And then, you know, they digested it, helped maybe cypherpunks understand it, helped, you know, maybe the developers understand it and like it continued to yeah. move outwards that way. Um, and um, I feel like you're very much part of the like the emergence of folks educating after the 2017 market and 
one of the like clear things here is just very, very clear distillation of rock solid narratives. And now in 2021 and 2020, we're seeing hedge fund managers and Scaramucci and folks like that, like their, their decks pitching Bitcoin to billionaires is pretty much just the kind of content that you're putting out right on Twitter. Like yeah. it's really this crowdsource <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. like content. And I mean, it's just incredible looking through this thread in particular, because like, what is it? This is like less than 20 tweets. Like you've distilled like the, the mental models behind Bitcoin, like all of them, like where it comes to thermodynamics, to scarcity, everything. It's really like so dense. It's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But like also, you know, CK, I benefited from Bitcoin magazine and people like you who kind of, you know, are pulling in all these interesting people with interesting perspectives. And I kind of just see it as my job of packaging it together in, in one place. Um, so, you know, there's nothing really that new or groundbreaking, but I just kind of think that, Hey, if you can tweak an idea just a little bit, um, suddenly it can spread a lot further, you know? Um, so it's kind of just finding, it's like saying the same thing, 10 different ways. And that way you'll just reach a bigger audience, you know, more people will be able to comprehend it. And ultimately that's really just my, my only hope. Um, because I've felt this, I know a lot of people have felt this, is Bitcoin's really good at making people feel really dumb. And, you know, you've got to get over that initial hurdle of realizing it's not you. It's got nothing to do with you. It's purely how it's being explained to you. So find the people who you connect with, find the content that resonates with you, find what works for you, and you will get this. Um, and if you do, it's it's a huge opportunity for you because you know, as you just mentioned, yeah, you've got, you've got hedge fund managers, you've got high net worth individuals, you've got uh, just a wall of people and capital coming into this space because it really uh, has the ability to offer people a lifeboat in a really uncertain time. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no more noble cause. And if I personally feel that I'm entitled to a you know benefit from any price appreciation of this asset, well then hell, I better put in some damn work to uh, to help others out. Yeah, well, uh, this has been said many times, but Bitcoin aligns incentives. So uh, <laughs> I think you know your sentiment here is absolutely uh, an example of that. Um, I want to talk about the sovereign individual before we talk about yeah. your article for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, again, you wrote an amazing thread breakdown, kind of like giving someone the cliff notes version of the book. Um, in my opinion, the sovereign individual is like the Bible for Bitcoiners. I personally pass it out to Bitcoiners. Like I think <laughs> yeah. it's important to have physical copies physically distributed around the world because it is um, so prescient. And it, like, if you read it, it really helps you understand like this transition. Can you kind of talk about the book? Um, what you're, you know, why you think it's important and maybe we can riff on from there yeah yep yep uh again it was just the product of smarter people around me saying this this book's really important it's worth the time and like many great books the first time i heard about it bought it and picked it up it didn't connect i put it on a shelf for a couple of years uh, it was only when it was kind of the right time uh it's kind of just like marketing you know you you could see a a billboard or hear a slogan if you're not in that decision moment or in the right place at the right time, it's not going to connect with you. That message is not going to connect. So 
with the current macro backdrop, it was just the perfect time to, to read and understand this book. And for me, uh, I, I really love looking at history and where these sort of step changes happen, either as a result of, you know, usually technology driven. Um, so th this book kind of just mapping that transformation where we went from the industrial age to the information age, uh, it, it really, it's like having, um, do you remember in Back to the Future? I can't remember if it was the first or the second one where there's uh, Biff and he gets this almanac of all the betting results from the future. And it kind of, for him, it's this, it tells him what's going to happen in the future and it tells him what to bet on. And I feel like the sovereign individual is exactly that at this moment. It kind of lays out how things will most likely play out. And again, remember, this was written 20 odd years ago, but it lays it out again, first principles based on the incentives and based on how people will typically react. Uh, this is what you can expect. So it's just invaluable. Um, it's dense. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's really, really fucking dense, but there will be parts of it that will blow your mind. Um, especially seeing how much of it has come to fruition. So anyone listening, take the time. It's worth it. Uh, anyone who's already read it, maybe send out another, you know, email or message or order a few more copies for gifts, because the more you can understand about where we're going in the future or the possible routes, the less threatening it will be, um, the less scared or fearful you might be. And you can kind of respond with a bit more hope and optimism. And I think that's why I love Bitcoiners so much, because they have kind of understood where all these paths lead. They've accepted them. And now they're just going to work as hard as they can going down the path they believe is the most beneficial to society. The example of like the like the sports betting book with like all the, the historical games, um, that, I think that is a fantastic example of of the sovereign individual and truly like it is the most first principled look forward prediction type of a uh, book I've ever read in my life. Like it's just so grounded in first principles. Um, uh, it, it really does do a fantastic job of like outlining the future and people who haven't read it are typically the ones who are like, how this is like, okay, well you just haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, but in terms of, in terms of the actual book, there are several themes that I think are really important and you break it down in your thread. So again, if you haven't listened, yeah. if you haven't read the book or listened to it, it's on audiobook as well. Um, I think a great place to start is go to, and they'll said so on Twitter, go read his thread on it. Pretty easy to find. Uh, uh, it's just pinned here. The, the first yeah. thing there is like all of your threads. So it's pretty easy to find, but can you kind of talk about maybe some of the key themes in the book that yeah. are important? Absolutely. And before I do, just to kind of point out again, uh, there are a lot of people creating some amazing content. Another guy uh, uh, called the Austrian, I think his handles the Austrian three, the number three, he put out an awesome thread on the sovereign individual and made it like animated. So check that out as well. But I think the key themes in the book that are most applicable to Bitcoiners, um, certainly the piece about, uh, you know, the comparison between the nation state and the Catholic Church in medieval times, and that they're both dependent on a captive audience um, and the you know, sort of labor of that audience to, to fuel them through taxation. And when that power dynamic or that social contract starts to break down, um, 
that's when you get a lot of interesting things happening. Uh, and some of the tools that enable that breakdown to happen is, you know, one being encryption. So we have the ability to communicate in a peer-to-peer -peer way uh, without permission, you know, and, and, and that, that can't be uh, deciphered unless you hold the key. So if we've got private communication um, and we can now turn money into, you know, a, a just data to be communicated, well, that takes a lot of the bargaining power away from um, whoever's in charge or, you know, the nation states at the moment. So encryptions are really, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take up a big portion of the book, but I think it's a really important piece. Um, but generally just the principle of, you know, taxation and how that's usually gained through threats of violence, um, you know, levied against people. Uh, and when that threat sort of uh, starts to wither away or is no longer taken seriously, then people start to change their behaviors. Um, they start to really consider what's in their best interest. And, uh, you know, it also helps to have options. If all of this was kind of going on in the world today and we did not have Bitcoin as a globally accessible sound money, then, you know, maybe my actions would be different. But the fact that I have that option, um, it, it, it'll take less uh, pressure from, you know, the state to, to push me down this rabbit hole. I'm more, I'm more being pulled than pushed right now. So yeah, the, the key themes really are, uh, what are the threats of violence being levied upon an individual? Um, how much is being extracted from you versus the value you're being provided uh, is, is a big one. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's so dense. There's so much great content, but yeah, CK, was there, were there bits that stood out for you when you read it? Because it, yeah. it really, I, I could talk about it for hours. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, and I know I kind of put you on the spot, um, but I think what you're talking about and the way that they frame it is like this idea of the logic of violence and like the ability to maintain and, you know, dominate and use violence scalably changes based on technology. And, you know, building castles changed the logic of violence, building armor changed the logic of violence, gunpowder changed the logic of violence. And now encryption and private communications and decentralized um, digital gold, that changes the logic of violence too now, because now individuals at no cost, you know, can protect their communications and their value and leave, right? And that destroys that captive audience that's required for large taxation. So what happens next once that ability is granted to the masses? Well, then you have competition around jurisdictions to provide the services that a nation state used to provide. So I feel like, yeah, that it's like the like understanding logic of violence, how logic of violence affects how society is organized, and then understanding what's the next shift in logic of violence um, in the digital age and potentially what that will do to society. Yeah. And that, that's probably, you just mentioned, that's probably one of the key points I, I missed was uh, the fact that there's at the end of this, that it's a competition now to attract individuals, you know, based on offering, uh, you know, safety of, of, of passage of, of property, um, you know, having certainty over future regulation or taxation. So yeah, I think the competition piece for, for skilled individuals and capital is, is a really key piece there. 
So speaking of another technology that absolutely changed the logic of violence and changed the power of the Catholic Church to control knowledge and the Bible in particular is the printing press. And you compare Bitcoin to the printing press all, you know, very deeply in this article that you posted um, on Bitcoin Magazine, most recently read on Bitcoin Audible by uh, by Guy Swan. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. He's turning yep. everything audible. So What a um, silky smooth voice. Hey, Guy is oh, just man. the best. <laughs> Honestly, when I read Bitcoin Magazine articles now, in my head, it's Guy. So it's just <laughs> always Guy. Um, so I'm not mad about it. But let's let's talk about the article and this comparison because I think it's apt as well as absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. So I made the comparison between what the printing press did to uh, Western European societies during the Middle Ages to what Bitcoin is kind of uh, doing now to central banks, specifically the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, and just saying that sentence, man, I sound like such a nerd. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, the comparison really helps, I think, to break down what is happening, map what's happening now to an equiv- equivalent point in history with similar forces and similar uh, dynamics of power. And uh, the... Yeah, the the key thing to kind of get away from it is about innovation. And um, I uh, read um, How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley recently. uh, And I know he was on um, a lot of the the Bitcoin podcast circuit. And he kind of just lays out a lot of the reasons why innovation flourishes, what conditions are necessary, um, and what are a lot of of the myths around um, innovation. He kind of debunks that. But basically, uh, with something like the printing press, all the key ingredients are already there. So if you're not familiar with it, the printing press was really just a way to mass produce books by applying pressure to uh, a tablet containing, you know, um, metal characters. And you're, you're basically just, you know, pressing ink onto paper at speed, high volume, you can produce books, which previously that whole process was done by hand. So it really just helped uh, increase the speed at which you could make a book. Uh, it lowered the cost. It made it you know, um, easier to distribute because now you, could, you, know, you can replicate these printing presses in different cities. But uh, again, going back to the actual printing press itself, it's just a combination of a bunch of existing technologies. You know, they used the wine press to apply the pressure uh, paper making from pulp was was already um, available. Uh, the um, common, uh, I guess, eyeglasses were were becoming quite widespread as a way for people to read with magnification. Uh, so you had all these different things that already existed. It just took someone to put them together, and that's what Gutenberg did. Uh, and like Matt Ridley believes, and I now think he's correct in this if it wasn't Gutenberg it would have been someone else it would have just taken maybe a bit longer but those things would have been combined um, because society demanded it at that time there was such a uh, you know restraint on the free flow of information that the at some point 
the switch would flip and uh you know society was going to get what it what it desired which was you know access to books which previously only the elite had um and the you know literacy again was a skill only afforded to the very wealthy or um uh certain members of the church and that's happening now it kind of like the 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 parallels to bitcoin it's like only the wealthy can have sound money. Only the wealthy can have store of value assets and get access to, um, you know, good financial services. Um, it very there's there's some very distinct parallels here. And then you go look at like there's complete continents that are, you know all of Africa has no access to good cash. None of it. Um, it's just uh, it really does feel like a similar parallel in terms of like the destitution that humans are in. Yeah, yeah, and that's. A really key point too is just the amount of power that the Roman Catholic Church had at the time, and how much power the Fed has now, and how much of that is maybe largely invisible to your day-to-day life. Um, it's very much there, but you might not see or feel it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but it will completely change the direction and quality of your life. So you you talked about how the printing press is made up of all these components, and you're not the first person to make the observation that Bitcoin is kind of made up of all these kind of different components of things that already previously existed. And Satoshi just kind of made a Frankenstein protocol, um, Bitcoin. So can you kind of talk yeah. about those components in Bitcoin? Yeah, so you, you've got uh, similar components in the sense that uh, one, one comparison I make in the in the uh, essay is the uh, block structure. So a way to very systematically package information um, at a at a at a protocol level so that it can be replicated. You know, it's very very simple, very basic, and scalable. And I feel like Gutenberg really did that with uh, printed books in the sense that you know his press it made you know, two column pages, each, each page had 42 lines. The specifications were pretty much exact so that it could be replicated very easily. Um, so he sort of standardized the page layout for information. Uh, and that's kind of what I think it took was to have this basic protocol that could be replicated at scale for it to take off, for, for the dissemination of information to really, really take off. And as you kind of see the uh, parabolic rise in the number of printed books worldwide was just astonishing. So it kind of shows that there was the thirst and hunger out there for this. Uh, It just took someone to sort of standardize the process to really like light that wildfire. And then it just kind of caught. And I think Satoshi really did that with the way the Bitcoin protocol was was kind of laid out is just how beautifully simple it is. You know, I mean, it, it, it's what, eight, nine pages? Like, <laughs> I've read, uh, man, I've, I feel like I've read local uh, strata reports in apartment buildings in my neighborhood where, you know, putting in a new bench requires 25 pages of uh, diagrams and research and approvals. And you just realize like, if you want something at scale, it damn well better be simple and replicable. Um, 
and that's what Satoshi did. That's that's really very incredible. First principles, kind of like a breakdown of of the the tenant of Bitcoin, and it wasn't even just like combining cryptography and combining the timestamping and the proof of work, but also making it scalable. And that was a key component of why the printing press actually was able to to be replicated and used and turned into some sort of a standard at that time. Um, what? So I guess let like let's let's try to like take a step back. Someone who um, doesn't believe in Bitcoin had you know doesn't have skin in the game hasn't really gone down that right. What would you say to them to kind of get them from like what's this Bitcoin thing to Bitcoin is really really important and I need to learn about it. Like what what's kind of like the key? Uh, yeah, what, what's your pitch? Oh man, CK, that's a great, that's a really great question, and that's probably the core of all of it. Uh, I, I don't think I really have a pitch. I think it'll just be when people are ready to understand it um, or are forced to understand it, they will. Uh, and I know the idea of sound money may not be that appealing when a huge number of people are in debt or financial stress um, or have more pressing issues. But uh yeah, when when you're ready, you'll you'll take that leap. Um, I'm reading. Uh, oh, I've just got a stack here. Uh, similar on par with the sovereign individual, lessons of history by Will and um, Ariel Durant, and they really just again take a survey of uh, you know history and very objectively look at what happened in certain situations, and then you know sort of sew that together to say, here's a general rule or here's a general thing you can expect based on history. Not our personal opinion, but observable history. Um, Sounds like a good book I need to read. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's 100 pages, super uh, to the point, no BS. If you value your time, um, I'd, I'd probably put this book on, on your list. And one one theme in it is that uh, and it's you know very politically unpopular to say or politically incorrect to say is that if you're below the average in terms of um, accumulated wealth, you're always going to be in favor of the redistribution of wealth. And if you're above that line, you know you're just really going to be in favor of privacy and protection. Um, I think now maybe it's a bit interesting with Bitcoin, the fact that okay, now everyone has access to this sound money, which was previously never the case. So maybe this time it's different. Um, maybe those people below that average line will, rather than using their energy and effort towards pushing uh, you know, the redistribution of wealth, might seek to just exit the system altogether and see, see Bitcoin as a fairer system. Um, so... The more wow. we can do to to help break break down Bitcoin to be not this scary uh, replication of the current system that benefits you know early holders, but hey, understand it from first principles, and this is probably something you're going to believe in. It's probably going to align with your principles. You just freaking blew my mind right there. I, I like that a lot. So <laughs> thanks, CK. Um, yeah, the example of, of, of that lesson from history and how Bitcoin may 
change the logic of violence there, <laughs> like literally, and allow, yeah. you know, maybe under the poverty line, hey, they have access to the, you know, the assurances that only the people above the, the average used to care about, want, or, you know, have access to. Um, Anil, this is a great conversation. Again, I think super dense, just like your threads. Um, to everyone out there, you must check this guy out on Twitter. I'll just keep plugging him. But before we uh, close out the show, you're releasing a book uh, in March. Uh, can you talk about Few? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I'm, I'm after, and that's the beauty of Twitter, is Twitter will give you very, very straight, instant feedback which is great because you get to collab, uh, you know, calibrate what you're putting out there. And after enough requests of, hey, can you turn this into a book so I can share it with my family? Uh, I decided to, to do that. So it's, again, just really going to be a collection of all my threads and uh, a few new pieces just packaged really densely. Um, it'll be for a beginner audience. Anyone should be able to pick it up and walk away with a better understanding of Bitcoin. Uh, it's coming out in March. And I, uh, yeah, really just psyched to help more, you know, no coiners and pre coiners, uh, make the leap to become a Bitcoiner. Let's go. And on that tip, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Anil said, so all the content is there for free. Um, if you're giving a presentation to, uh, you know, your pension board, if you're trying to convince your grandfather to put five bucks into Bitcoin, uh, steal my shit, honestly, take it, give me credit, you know, if you don't mind, but, you know, use it to help people understand what is going on. Because if someone can understand money at a fundamental level, it really will change how you use your time. And I think nothing's more profound and important than that. Awesome. And you guys make sure again, check out all of his work, buy the book, share it. We need to orange pill everyone. And Anil has created some awesome tools to do that. Um, you guys can find me at CK underscore snarks on Twitter, as well as on big Bitcoin Mastodon. So at bitcoinhackers.org, uh, you can find uh, a, a secret group of Bitcoiners who are, uh, you know, moving off of Twitter. So check that out. Uh, and also check out Bitcoin Magazine at BitcoinMagazine.com. Check out Anil's piece, Bitcoin and the Printing Press. Um, and uh, yeah, cheers. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.